are we thinking about this morning? If I could read your minds and could tell exactly what each of you were thinking about right now, what would we be thinking? Perhaps we're thinking of things outside of worship or church. Perhaps we're thinking things like, how am I going to get all these errands done this afternoon? Or perhaps we're thinking, why is it the Chiefs have to play so early today in Germany and I haven't been able to check the score for 45 minutes? Anybody? No? Okay. Or maybe our minds have transitioned to worship and we have thoughts like, what on earth is the pastor going to say about this passage with all the fire in it? Or maybe we're wondering, why didn't we read verse 40? Or maybe it's, didn't Jesus say in the wilderness we're not supposed to test God? This kind of feels like a test. Or maybe we're thinking about verse 31 in today's reading, where it mentioned Jacob and Elijah saying that God said, Israel shall be your name. Wasn't that our scripture passage on September 24th? I remember that sermon clearly. I don't either. That's okay. Or perhaps we're wondering, I'm so glad I wasn't liturgist today. Right? We can have all these different thoughts, but a lot of them for me get back to is that this is a tough passage, especially on its own in a vacuum. Our passage today is not one we're likely to find hand-painted in cursive on a piece of driftwood at a decorative store. It's a tough one. But it is one that's got to help us connect some dots and be able to move forward. Last week, we examined the kingdom being divided with Rehoboam and Jeroboam and how Jeroboam split off to the north and had the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah with Rehoboam was to the south. And the kingdom of Israel in the north is not the kingdom that had Jerusalem in it. And Rehoboam, or Jeroboam did not want the people to go to Jerusalem to worship there, fearing their loyalties may be tested. So he built idols and said, you can worship these idols here. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. We're years later now, but that's important context for today's passage. It's also important to know that there was a drought of three years. And with the drought comes famine. The first part of chapter 18 is also important context. We have God's voice here as saying, I will send rain on the earth. God is expressing the desire to end the drought, to end suffering. And that is a consistent message throughout Scripture. The context changes and the methods change, but it's consistent that God desires to end suffering. If you think back to the Ten Commandments, at first glance, or at a surface level, the rules may sound constricting. But if we live in a community where no one kills, and no one steals, and no one covets, and no one bears fault witness, then that's actually a freedom from suffering to be in a community that follows those commandments. Just about everywhere that Jesus went, the first thing he did was to heal, to end suffering. Even Christ himself suffering on the cross is leading to the resurrection, and that is ultimately about ending suffering. But sometimes, because we're human, and because we can be a little stubborn, we like to suffer, don't we? 
You know, when, when Sarah and I moved to Louisiana, this would have been uh, 10-ish years ago, the church I was at there outside New Orleans, uh, it was the first time that I was in charge, I was lived someplace where I was in charge of mowing, of doing the upkeep of the lawn. We had a small house on a big corner lot, and I didn't want to mess with gasoline or a cord, so I ended up buying a real mower. R-E-E-L, real mower. Raise your hand if you know what I mean when I say that. There's a generational gap here if you're looking around. But that's the kind of mower that I bought. It was a mower that had no, no mower or no engine, no electricity. You just pushed it. You cut, get, you cut grass with your sweat and blood and tears. And that's what it was. And in southern Louisiana, I had to mow the lawn two or three times a week for nine to ten months of the year. And this was thick grass. I mean, this is like, imagine like a thick, brand new shag carpet on top of another shag carpet. Like, that's what it was like cutting this lawn. It'd take one to two hours to cut it, depending on how tired I was and how hot it was and how fast I would go. And we lived in that house for about a year and a half. And after the first month, did I go out and buy a, a powered mower? Of course not. I already spent 90 bucks on this real mower off Amazon at the time. I'm not going to put more money into this. Did we have a place to store it inside out of the rain? No. Did the blade start to rust after the first couple months, then I had to do two or three passes to cut it? Yes. Did I get the blade sharpened? No. Did I keep using that mower for as long as we lived there? Yes, I did. did do I, would I tell you that I like to suffer? No. Do some of my past actions show otherwise? Yeah, they do. And I, can tell, I wish I could tell you that I eventually learned and put that behind me, but we ended up having to move to a place where I didn't have to mow, and that's the only way I was got to get rid of that mower. And I haven't had to mow since then. And for the record, Condi, I'm not looking to change anything. <laughs> I'm okay not mowing. That's perfectly all right with me. But the thing is, sometimes, oftentimes, we need God, we need an outside source to help end our suffering. Right? The core message of communion is communion is a message of ending suffering. It's Jesus' body given for you, the cup of the new covenant, the blood given for you. But it's about building community and alleviating suffering. Suffering. Jesus literally saying, I'm going to shoulder this burden because I don't want you to. So in the passage today, why the fire? Why the big show? Why the 450 prophets? I think it's because sometimes God speaks in the only way we'll listen. And this is the message and the way, perhaps the only way, that the people were going to listen. Now, I'll tell you that I'm not going to do what Elijah did in this passage. Sometimes when I have the, our, our fire pit in the backyard, I wish I could start a fire that easy, even with wet wood. Although I immediately go to how much, you know how much smoke wet wood gives off if you catch it to light? It's a lot. So it wouldn't be super pleasant. But I wish I could start a fire that easy. For the record, the trick is do a little bit of oil on like newspaper to start the fire. Oil helps it burn hotter and it catches quicker. 
Yeah? Are we happy I shared this, or should I start keeping these things to myself? <laughs> I see a couple delighted faces and a lot of confused stares. We'll keep moving on. The thing is, in life, unfortunately, sometimes we're not ready to listen, however the message is told, until we learn and experience that the way we've been doing it doesn't work. There's a reason the, the prophets of Baal went first. The people had to see that it didn't work. In lives, in our culture, we have no shortage of lowercase g gods and ideas and gadgets and diet fads. All sorts of things and products where we don't know who made it, but we're going to give it a try because it's half price. All sorts of things that don't work. But... Because we're human, sometimes we have to try it first, because it might work. And until we experience it not working, we're not going to be open to something else. Reinhold Niebuhr, a, a theological rock star from the 1940s and 50s, wrote about a theology of limits. That we need to hit that limit, our wall, the time when our idols fail us, for us to then turn to God. And the lesson behind it, the theology behind it, is that everything not God is finite. Everything. We can dedicate our lives to jobs, but no one works the same job or career forever. We can dedicate our lives to our family, but no relationship stays the same forever. And we know that we're all in mortal bodies. We can dedicate our lives to our country, but the Roman Empire fell, someday the United States will too. Now, I've got to be super clear. I'm not calling for rebellion. I don't need to be on a watch list or anything. I'm just saying that no country is God. But the thing is, until we experience our idols, our own lowercase g, gods failing us, we may not turn to God as our focus. We may not reorient because why would we? If what we've been doing is working, why would we change it? In addiction literature, we hear this referred to, and you've heard this phrase, hitting rock bottom. Right? We've heard hitting rock bottom. Yes, we can move. It's, you can nod your heads. It won't hurt. Okay. See, sometimes we have to bottom out. We have to realize that how we're living isn't working before we reorient and try something different. And the unfortunate truth is, until hitting rock bottom, we won't change, oftentimes. So here's a takeaway of the story that has a lot of moving parts in it. What happened when the prophet, prophets of Baal couldn't get the fire started? Think back to the scripture. When they couldn't get the fire started, Elijah was right there. He started immediately, and he told the people, come closer. I know you're upset. I know you're hurting. I know you thought this was going to work, and it didn't. I knew it didn't, but you thought it would, so we had to try it. So we tried it. It didn't work. You don't know where to go. Come closer. Come on in. See, in our world, we are surrounded by people, ourselves included, who are hitting their limit, who are hitting rock bottom, whose lowercase g God, whose false idols have failed them. 
We are surrounded by people who worship their career and just got laid off. We're worshipped by people who worship status or beauty and don't get invited to the same parties anymore. We're surrounded by people who gave everything for their family and after a tragic accident or illness, wake up and realize that person's gone. We are surrounded by people who gave everything for their country and then came back home and didn't get the care and support that they need. We are surrounded by people who have been forced to confront that the thing or person or idea that they've oriented their life around is either not there anymore or has failed them in some way. And we, many of us, don't have Elijah right next to us saying, it'll be okay, come closer. Come on in and let me show you another way. Let me show you the only one in all of creation who will not fail you. Let me show you the only one in the universe who will last forever. Let me show you the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Come closer. Because the thing is, when we don't have that voice saying, come closer, when we don't have another way to orient, we fall into despair. We give up hope. And that's when we hear the stories of a tragedy leading to another tragedy. When we keep hitting our limits, perhaps we reorient quickly. But if we reorient to another person or another thing that is not God, then it's only a matter of time until we hit that limit again. And we can only hit rock bottom so many times before we stop wanting to get up and try again. And sometimes, maybe we get close, close semantically speaking. Maybe we lift up the church as an institution. Or heaven forbid, the pastor becomes our lowercase g, God. I don't have to tell you the ways the church as an institution has failed. Or how many pastors have either made the newspaper or it's been swept under the rug doing things that Jesus would not do. But I will tell you, don't make me a God because I cannot live up to Jesus. And if that's the bar, I promise I will fail you. Let us instead remember that only God is God. Only God is God. And sometimes, even if we know that only God is God, and even if we know that God should be our God, we still need to go into the shop once in a while to make sure our brake pads are still there and working, to make sure that our alignment is correct, to go in for a tune-up to make sure that we're oriented, that we're pointed the right direction. Because the thing about false gods, about idols, is they can be slippery little devils, and they can try to sneak in there especially in the times when we don't realize that it's happening. You know, the last two weeks, I've invited everyone in person and online to write or email in a comment on the worship video um, with their hope or their dream for this church here, for PCWS. I want to thank you, everyone, that has done that. It's been incredibly helpful for all of us, but especially for me, to see where our hearts and where our minds currently rest. And we need to be able to say what our hopes are, our dreams. And we need to be able to, without judgment, without judgment, to be able to check our own alignment, our own orientation. And when I say without judgment, I don't just mean not to judge others, because that's often what we think about. 
So I'm especially talking about here, not to judge ourselves too harshly. We need to be able to allow ourselves to receive grace just as much as it's important to extend grace to others. So the question of what's our hope and our dream for PCWS, our own personal hopes and dreams, helps us think about what our focuses are. Here's another question. It's a twist on it. And I invite you to take a moment, again, in person or at home or wherever you are online, to take a moment to really consider this. What do you think God hopes for PCWS? We've talked about what I hope. Now the question is, what do we think or what do you think God hopes for PCWS? Right? We put down into words what we want to see. We have a variety of responses. It's out there in the narthex, posted online, Weekly Connect. If you haven't looked at it, please do. Now the question is, what do we think God wants to see? We're going to go ahead and pass out papers again here in person. I think there's a basket upstairs. We're going to start passing them out right now here downstairs. And for those of you here in person, if you need a pen, we have pens in the basket too. Feel free to grab one. And the question is, what do we think God hopes for PCWS? Or what do we think God wants to see here at PCWS? For those here in person, I invite you to, to write that down. Hold on to that paper. We'll place it in the offering plate later during the service. For those worshiping online, please email that response, pcws at presbws.org. You can also comment on Facebook or YouTube where you're watching the video. Uh, I'll say specifically, a number of people did this last time. Thank you, those here in person and those online. But I will say that I know, because I've seen the data, and may, this might be news to some people here, our congregations really kind of split in three parts on any given Sunday. We have pretty equal sizes from the number of people who worship in person, number of people who worship on Facebook, and the number of people who worship on YouTube. But I will say most of the responses we've gotten so far have been from the in-person crowd. So those of you worshiping online, now is a moment uh, to participate and to comment or email in uh, your thought on that. Uh, we don't have to put your name on it. We can still write on the paper if you want that degree of anonymity. That's perfectly okay. Um, but yeah, please be involved in this process for us. And as we are doing this exercise, as we're thinking about it, let us take with us knowing and believing that only God is God. And while it can be painful to face the mortality of everything that is of this world, know that there is comfort, there is hope, there is promise, there is life everlasting in the one who invites us to the table and in the one who ultimately calls us home. For only God is God. Amen? Amen.